0: Welcome to the Pulp Nostalgia AudioCast. It's Halloween week, and as we have been all month, we're celebrating the scariest month of the year with ghost stories and other weird tales. To celebrate the holiday, we're going to have an episode of Old Time Radio each day this week in the Halloween theme. In today's episode, we have Dracula, the debut episode of the Mercury Theater on the Air, also known as First Person Singular. Mercury Theater was a summer replacement series that debuted on CBS on July 11, 1938, starring the young wunderkind Orson Welles. The show would run for 22 episodes before Welles would head off to Hollywood to make Citizen Kane. This episode was that first episode on July 11, 1938. One additional fun fact about this episode, listen carefully for when the stake is driven through the heart of the vampire. The effort to find the right sound for the demanding wells apparently took quite some doing with various tools, produce, and materials tried before they got it right. The final product is reportedly the sound of a hammer hitting a watermelon. This podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production, copyright 2019. For more from Brick Pickle Media, visit www.pulpaudiocast.com. If you'd like to support our efforts, you can find a link to all of our books and our entire online store on the website. And with that, on with the show.
1: The Columbia Network takes pride in presenting Orson Welles in the first production of a unique new summer series by the Mercury Theater on the Air. single year, the first in the life of the Mercury Theater, Orson Welles has come to be the most famous name of our time in American drama. Says Collier's magazine, 23-year-old Orson Welles threw a bombshell into Broadway. Robert Benchley writes in the New Yorker, the production of the Mercury is, I should say, just about perfect. Time magazine declares, the brightest moon that has risen over Broadway in years. Wells should feel at home in the sky. For the sky is the only limit which his ambitions recognize. And finally, the United Press remarked... Meteoric rise of Orson Welles' Mercury Theater continues unabated. With four hit shows in its birth year, the Mercury might well close its door on a season unparalleled in Broadway history. But Mr. Welles has long been working on a project for a greater audience. The Broadways of the entire United States. The Columbia Network is proud to give Orson Welles the opportunity bring to the air those same qualities of vitality and imagination that have made him the most talked-of theatrical director in America today. And it is this project which Columbia brings you this summer, the first time in its history that radio has ever extended such an invitation to an entire theatrical institution. But here is Orson Welles himself to tell you about it, the director of the Mercury Theater, the star and producer of these programs, Orson Welles.
2: Good evening. The Mercury Theatre faces tonight a challenge and an opportunity for which we are grateful. We will present during the next nine weeks
3: many different kinds of stories. Stories of romance and adventure, biography, mystery and human emotion. Stories by authors like Robert Louis Stevenson, Emil Zola, Dostoyevsky, Edgar Allan Poe and P.G. In The cast tonight are Martin Gable, the Cassius of our production of Julius Caesar, and George Koulouris, who played Antony in that production, and appeared also in our Shoemaker's Holiday and Heartbreak House, and other leading Mercury Theatre players. We're starting off tonight with the best story of its kind ever written. You will find it in every representative library of classic English narratives. It is Bram Stoker's Dracula. The next time I speak to you, I am Dr. Arthur Seward. George Koulouris plays Jonathan Harker... And Martin Gable plays Dr. Van Helsing. It's Dr. Seward who tells the story. And so for the moment, goodbye, ladies and gentlemen. I'll see you in Transylvania.
1: The Mercury Theater on the Air presents Orson Welles as Count Dracula in his own version of Bram Stoker's great novel, Dracula.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, my name is Arthur Seward. I'm here tonight to bear witness to the truth of certain events which you may find it hard to believe, but I ask you to believe them. I have here certain documents, telegrams, clippings from the press of the day, memoranda, and letters in various hands. All needless matters have been eliminated so that a history almost at variance with the possibilities of contemporary belief may stand forth as simple fact. I present you first with excerpts from the private journal of Jonathan Harker. I, Jonathan Harker, lawyer's clerk, article to Peter Hawkins' Esquire of Exeter, England, am writing this journal in the hope that if misfortune overtakes me, it may one day come to the eyes of those who love me. I set out from London on the last day of April to visit one of our clients in Eastern Europe. On May the 3rd, I arrived in Budapest and came after nightfall to Klausenburg on the borders of Transylvania. At Bistritz, there was a letter of welcome for me from our client informing me that his carriage would await me at the Borgo Pass. It was signed, Dracula. Bukovina! Couch for Bukovina!
4: Bukovina <laughs>
3: but still we seemed to fly over it with feverish haste when it grew dark there seemed to be some excitement among the passengers they kept speaking to the driver and looking at me and urging him on to greater speed the crazy coach rocked on its great leather strings the mountains seemed to come nearer to us on either side coachman coachman what is this Where are we? You're nearing your destination, young herr. This is the Borga Pass.
0: There were black,
3: rolling clouds overhead, and in the air, the heavy, oppressive sense of thunder. Now, we were through the pass. Young hair is not expected
2: after all. You are early tonight, my friends.
3: A caleche with four horses had drawn up beside us.
2: Let me help you, sir.
3: The coachman smiled, and the lamplight fell on a hard looking mouth with very red lips and sharp looking teeth as white as ivory. We began to move. I looked back. The coach and its load of passengers had vanished from sight. We swept into the darkness of the pass. I struck a match. It was within a few minutes of midnight. And then, a dog began to howl somewhere far down the road. The wind was rising, moaned and whistled through the rocks, and the branches of the trees clashed together as we swept along. It grew colder and colder still, and fine powdery snow began to fall. The baying of wolves sounded nearer and nearer, as though though they were closing round us from every side. We kept on ascending, always ascending. The howling of wolves was growing less. Presently, it ceased altogether. And just then, the moon broke through the black cloud. There's a ring of wolves running alongside the carriage in silence, with white teeth and lolling red tongues, with long, sinuated limbs and shaggy hair. Welcome to my house. I must have fallen asleep. The carriage had pulled up in the courtyard of a vast ruined castle. The coachman was nowhere to be seen.
2: Welcome to my house. Come freely. Go safely and grieve something of the happiness you
3: bring. Count Dracula? I am Dracula. His face was strong, very strong, aquiline. The mouth, so far as I could see under the heavy mustache, was fixed and rather cruel-looking with peculiarly sharp white teeth. Hmm.
2: You hear them, Mr. Harker? Uh, the wolves? The children of the night, as you say, Mr. Harker. The wolves. Listen. Oh, come now. There are many things you must tell me tomorrow, of England and of the estate there you have purchased for me. Why, ah, yes. The estate is called Carfax, I
3: believe. Yes, that is so.
2: But now I will detain you no longer. You will find your room in readiness, and I advise you not to leave it during the night.
3: This castle is on the very edge of a terrible precipice. A stone falling from the window would fall a thousand feet without touching anything. I explored. There are doors, doors, doors everywhere. All of them locked. The door to the great hall, the door to the courtyard. Every door in the castle is closed, bolted against me. The castle of Dracula is a prison. And I am a prisoner. The next night, I couldn't sleep. So after a few hours, I got up and, lighting my candle, I placed my shaving mirror on the dressing table and was just beginning to
2: shave. You seem restless, Mr. Harker.
3: I hadn't seen him, although the reflection of the glass covered the whole room behind me. I turned to the glass again. Count Dracula was close to me, and I could see him over my shoulder, but there was no reflection of him in the mirror. It was blank. I started and cut myself on the side of the throat... The blood was trickling down my neck. Count my mirror. The blood. The blood.
2: Wipe the blood from your face, Mr. Harker. And take care how you cut yourself. It's more dangerous than you think. In this
3: country. When I woke, I found most of my things were gone. My passport, my notes, my letter of credit. I could find no trace of them anywhere. And my door is locked from the outside. June 20th. There is work of some kind going on in the castle. Now and then, I hear the faraway muffled sound of mattock and spade. And last night... The second of the predated letters... Which Dracula made me write. The second of that series which is to blot out the very traces of my existence from the earth went forth. Count Dracula. Yes, my young friend. Well, what of me? When am I free?
2: When can I I leave this place? Free? Mr. Harker, you're always free. You want to live? Would you like to leave tonight? Oh, yes, yes, in God's name. My dear, young friend, not an hour shall you wait in my house against your will. Come, follow me. Hmm, the door seems to be bolted. How strange. The door is locked. Well, in God's name, open it. As you will, Mr. Harker. You English have a proverb which is very close to my heart. Welcome the coming, speed-departing guest. Good night, Mr. Harker. Oops. Shut
4: the door! Shut the door! I tell you, shut the door!
2: Shut! The door is shut, Mr. Harker. I take it.
3: we will remain. Morning, June the 30th. These may be the last words I ever write in this diary. Oh, God, preserve my sanity. I have never seen Count Dracula by day. At sunrise, at the first cockcrow is gone. I... I don't understand these things. I only know that the wolves obey him and that he is a man with hair on the palm of his hands with sharp teeth and no blood in his face. He casts no shadow. He cannot be seen in a glass. And he moves like a bat across the sheer face of the castle walls. He eats no food and is mortally afraid of the crucifix. As I write this, I hear in the courtyard the rolling of heavy wheels and the cracking of whips. And there is in the passageway below a sound of heavy boxes being set down. Boxes shaped like coffins. And I know what they hold. Boxes are filled with holy earth from the chapel beneath the castle. is the last box being nailed down. Now I hear the heavy feet tramping again. The door shut. The chains rattle. In the courtyard and down the rocky way, the roll of heavy wheels, the crack of whips. Help! 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 The weapons have gone. I'm alone in the castle, I'm alone in the castle, I'm alone in the castle, I'm alone, I'm alone, I'm alone. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Dr. Seward. Mr. Harker's journal terminates at this point. I'll present in evidence a clipping dated August 8th of that year from the Yorkshire Telegraph from our correspondent in Whitby. One of the greatest and suddenest storms on record was experienced here today. The weather has been somewhat sultry, but Saturday evening was fine. The band was playing. The piers were crowded with holidaymakers. The wind fell away entirely during the evening, and there was a dead calm. There were but few lights at sea. The only sail noticeable was a foreign schooner under full canvas, which was seemingly going westward. A little after midnight came a strange sound from over the sea, and high overhead the air began to carry a strange, faint, hollow booming. Then, without warning, the tempest broke. And there, with all sails set, was the foreign schooner rushing with terrific speed toward the shore. A searchlight was turned on her. And there, lashed to the helm, was a corpse with drooping head which swayed horribly to and fro at each motion of the ship. A moment later she crashed. And then a strange thing was seen. At the very instant she touched, a huge dog sprang up on deck from below and running forward jumped from the bow onto the sand and making straight up the east cliff toward the graveyard, vanished into the night. The coast guard going aboard at dawn found the dead man fastened to a spoke of the wheel. Tightly clutched in one hand was a crucifix. The man must have been dead for quite two days. In the pocket of the dead man's coat was found a bottle, carefully corked, containing a roll of paper. This proved to be an addendum to the ship's log. There was found on board only a small amount of cargo and that of a most unusual nature. Apparently the ship carried nothing but earth, common earth, packed away in wooden boxes, shaped much like coffins.
4: Of the Demeter, July 6th. Finished taking in cargo, a queer cargo, boxes of earth. At noon, set sail, east wind fresh. Crew, four hands, two mates, cook, and myself, captain, July 11th. Entered Bosporus. At dark, passed through Dardanelles. Mate reported in morning that one of crew, Baljodin. Was missing.
3: He took larboard watch eight bells last night. He was relieved by Chilija. came to his There's bunk. something aboard oh. the ship. <laughs> no, no, no. Don't laugh, Captain. In the rain last night, oh. a tall, thin man go up companionway and along the deck forward and disappear. When I go to the bow, no one. And the hatchways all
4: closed. July 22nd. Rough weather last three days. All hands busy with sails. No time be frightened. Past Gibraltar and out through straits. All well. July 24th. Last night, another hand was lost. Disappeared. (laughs) By Jelichev. Leave all watch. Midnight. Then we never see him again. Double watch now. Don't take watch alone no more. Double watch. Double watch. July 29th. At single watch tonight, as crew too tired to double. When morning comes... Hey! Hey, Milo! Banoisin! Banoisin! Is Banoisin, Milo? Banoisin is gone! Banoisin! Banoisin is gone. gone, like the earth. Like all the earth mate and I have agreed to go armed henceforth. July 30th. Last night. We are nearing England. Weather fine. All sail set. Captain! Captain! The man in the watch is the stairs
3: was missing! Both missing!
4: Now, only self and mate and one hand left to work ship. August 3rd. Two days of fog and not a sail sighted. At midnight, I went to relieve the man at wheel. And when I got to it, found no one there. It's here. I know it now. I saw it like a
1: man, tall and thin and ghastly pale. It was in the bows looking out. I gave it the knife and my knife went through it. What? Empty as air. What is it? What are you talking about? It's here and I'll find it. It's
3: in the hole. In one of those boxes of earth. I'll unscrew them one
4: by one and see. And see! He is mad. Stark raving mad. It's no use my trying to stop him. He can't hurt those big boxes, they are invoiced as common earth.
2: Down in the cold. I
3: know the secret now. The sea will save me from him. That's all that's left. That's all that's left. August four.
4: I am all alone on my ship. And still the fog. I dared not go below. I dared not leave the helm... So here all night I stayed, and in the dimness of the night, I saw it. I saw him. God forgive me, but the mate was right to jump overboard. It was better to die like a sailor in the blue water. But I am captain, and I must not leave my ship. I shall tie my hands to the wheel when my strength begins to fail... And along with them I shall tie that which it dare not touch, my crucifix. I am growing weaker, and the night is coming on. God and the blessed virgin help a poor ignorant soul trying to do his duty.
1: You are listening to the Columbia Network's first presentation in a new summer series of unique dramatic productions featuring Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air. In just a moment, our story of Bram Stoker's Dracula will continue. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. We continue now with Columbia Network's presentation of Orson Welles and the Mercury Theater on the Air in Dracula. Telegram.
3: Seward, perfect, to Van Helsing, Amsterdam. Lucy Westenra in alarming condition. Cannot diagnose. Come at once. Seward. Telegram. Van Helsing, Amsterdam, to Seward, perfect. I'm on my way to you. Please arrange the examination immediately my arrival, Van Helsing. Ladies and gentlemen, I must now explain that six months before the events recorded here, I had become engaged to a young lady, Lucy Westenra. We were to have been married in the spring. My old teacher, Professor Van Helsing, arrived at four the next afternoon. I took him at once to Lucy's house. She lay in a bed asleep. She was ghastly, chalkily pale. The red seemed to have gone even from her lips and gums. and The bones of her face stood out. Young miss is bad. Very bad. She must have blood or she will die. Yet she is not anemic. The qualitative analysis of her blood gives quite normal condition. It is strange. I do not like to think how strange. Look! My God, her throat, look! The black velvet band that she always wore had dragged up a little and showed a red mark on her throat. Just over the external jugular vein were two punctures, not large, but not wholesome looking. The edges were white and worn looking. Well... Well, what is it, Professor? What's wrong with her? Speak frankly. You can tell me the worst. I wish I could, Stuart. I wish I could. But I do not dare. But won't you tell me any- anything? I will tell you this. Your young lady is in a danger greater than death. You must believe me. If you leave her for one moment and harm the you will not sleep easy thereafter.
2: September eight. I sat up all night with Lucy.
4: Arthur, I'm afraid. My
3: dear, you can sleep tonight. I'm here watching you. Nothing can happen. And I promise if any sign of bad dreams, if I see anything, I'll wake you at once. You
4: will? Will you really? Then I'll sleep.
3: I sat all night by her bedside. She did not wake once during the night, although a bows or a bat or something flapped almost angrily against the window panes. September 11th, still quoting from my private journals, it was at this time that I received a message from Perfleet. read, 10.20 p.m. St. John's Hospital, serious complications, case 891, your immediate presence, London, imperative. I had no choice. Sometime later, a paper was found among Lucy Wstenauer's belongings.
4: I write this and leave it to be seen so that no one may by any chance get into trouble through me. I went to bed as usual, taking care that the window was closed, as Dr. Van Helsing had directed. About two in the morning, I awakened. I went to the door, called out, Arthur! Arthur! There was no answer. Something's broken the window. I'm in the room, alone. I dare not go out. The house seems empty. The air is full of specks, floating, circling in the draught from the window. the light burns blue and dim. What am I to do? Something very sweet and very bitter around me. I seem sinking into deep water and there's a singing in my ears.
2: You shall be flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood.
3: Ah. September 12th. Late. Only resolution and habit can let me make an entry tonight. We found her sprawled on the floor. And there was a draft in the room from the broken window. Her throat was bare, showing the two wounds, looking horribly white and mangled. We are too late, my friend. We have failed. God's will be done. She's dying. Yes, she's dying. Stay beside her. It will make much difference, Mark me. whether she dies conscious or in her sleep.
2: It was late in the afternoon before she opened her eyes.
4: Arthur, oh my love, I'm so glad you've come.
2: I took her hand and knelt beside her.
3: Her breath came and went like a tired, peaceful child's. And then the light from the setting sun fell on her face. And then, insensibly, a strange change came over her. Her eyes grew suddenly dull and hard. Her breathing was heavy. The mouth opened and the pale gums drawn back made the teeth look large and sharp. Oh, my love, I'm so glad you've come. Kiss me. Bend down and kiss me. Not for your life. Not for your living soul and (laughs) hers, Lucy! She's is dead. Poor girl. That's peaceful at last. The end. Not so. It is only the beginning. Wait and see. Mm-hmm.
4: the Gazette, September 25th, a Hempstead mystery. The Kensington Horror, the Stabbing Woman, and the Woman in Black are vividly recalled to mind by a series of events that have taken place recently in the neighborhood of Hempstead. Several cases have occurred of young children straying from home or failing to return from their playing on the heath. In all these cases, the children have given us their excuse that they have been with a beautiful lady, ...who offered them chocolates. In each case, the child was found to be slightly torn or wounded in the throat. The wound seemed such as might be made by a rat or a small dog.
3: The Hampstead her, another child injured by the beautiful lady. We have just received intelligence that another child missed last night was only discovered late in the morning. It has the same tiny wound in the throat. Well, Seward, what do you think of that? You mean to tell me, my friend, that you still have no suspicion as to what poor Lucy died of? Nervous prostration, following great loss or waste of blood. And how was the blood lost or wasted? You are a clever man, my friend, and a good doctor. But you do not believe that there are things that you cannot understand.
0: You are wrong,
3: Stuart. Are you aware of all the mysteries of life and death? Can you tell me why in the pampas there are bats that come at night and open the veins of cattle and horses and suck dry those veins? Hmm? how in some islands of the western seas there are bats which hang on trees all day, and then when the sailors sleep on deck because it is hot, flit down on them, and then in the morning are found dead men as white as Miss Lucy was. I understand none of these things. After tonight, Stuart, if you dare to come with me, perhaps then you will understand. September 29th. Before dawn, now it is done. And I would sooner die a thousand deaths than live again through what I did this night. We will spend the night you and I here in this churchyard where Miss Lucy is buried. We enter the tomb. Then we open the coffin. You shall yet be convinced... Take care, Van Helsing. Miss Lucy is dead, is it not so? Then there can be no wrong to her, but if she is not dead... with some difficulty, we found the West tomb... I took up my place behind a yew tree on one side of the tomb, then Helsing on the other. I was chilled and frightened. Suddenly, I saw something moving between two yew trees. A dim, white figure which held something at its breast. The figure stopped. I could not see the face, for it was bent down over what I... Saw to be a fair-haired child. There was a sharp little cry, such as a child gives in sleep. Or a dog as it lies before the fire and dreams. Then the thing saw us. She drew back with an angry snarl. The lovely, blood stained mouth grew to an open square. If ever a face meant death, I saw it at that moment. Then suddenly she turned and vanished in the direction of the tomb. Child is not harmed. We leave him in a safe place where the police find him. There's more to do. Come. Now we were in the tomb. then in the coffin, the thing lay. Like a nightmare of Lucy, the pointed teeth, the blood-stained mouth. Then Helsing never looked up. From his bag, he took out a book, his operating knives, a heavy hammer and a round wooden stake, some two or three inches thick, sharpened to a fine point and hardened over a fire. Stuart, the life of this unhappy woman is just begun. When she become what you call undead, there comes with the change, the curse of immortality. She cannot die, but must go on age after age, adding new victims. Because all that die from the praying of the undead become themselves undead and prey on others. So the circle goes on, ever widening as the ripples from a stone thrown in the water. But if this lady, this undead, be made to rest as true dead, then the soul of the poor lady whom we love shall be again free. Tell me. What am I to do? Take the stake in your left hand, the hammer in your right. Yes. Place the point over the heart. Yes. Then, when I begin the prayer for the dead, in God's name, strike. Oh. Are you ready? Now. Jesu On the morning of July 11th, a man was found on the border of Transylvania. He talked wildly of wolves and boxes of earth and blood. He gave his name as Jonathan Harker. In the hospital at Klausenberg, he improved sufficiently to make possible his removal to England. I'm still quoting from my own personal papers. But there his condition remained so serious that he was committed for observation to a private ward in my hospital at Perfleet. Here he did so well that in three weeks he was completely recovered. It was during this time that his wife, Minna Harker, ...brought to the attention of Dr. Van Helsing and myself... ...the journal that her husband had kept while a prisoner... ...in the castle of a certain Count Dracula in Transylvania. I have before me the record of a meeting... ...that took place in my study in Perthliet... ...transcribed by Mina Harker.
0: October 1st. Meeting again soon after 8. Jonathan next to me. Dr. Seward opposite to Van Helsing at the head of the table. My
3: friends... ...there are such things as vampires. Had I known at first what now I know one so precious life had been spared to many of us who love her the vampire which is amongst us is of himself so strong that he can direct all the elements the storm the fog, the thunder he can command all the meaner things the moth and bat the owl and the fox and the wolf how then are we to begin our strike to destroy him how Shall we find his place? And having found it, how can we destroy? My friends, it is a terrible task that we undertake. To fail here is not mere life or death. If we fail, we become as him. Foul things of the night, as him. What do you say?
1: I answer for myself. Come in. I'm with you. The professor laid a small, golden crucifix on the table. We took hands and our solemn pact was made.
3: My friends, we too are not without strength. The vampire flourishes on the blood of the living. Without this, he cannot live. He throws no shadow. He makes no reflection in a mirror. He can transform himself to a wolf, to a bat. He can come on moonlight rays as elemental dust. He can see in the dark. He can do all these things, yet he is not free. His power ceases at the coming of the day. Then, until night, he must remain in the shape in which he finds himself, and except in his coffin home, in those earth boxes he cannot rest. When we can confine him in his coffin, then, my friends, if we obey what we know, we will destroy him.
1: At that moment, something flapped wildly against the window, then... Did
3: you hit it? I don't know.
1: We looked out of the window. Against the black sky, we could see nothing.
3: Data in our position. From the Count's Castle in Transylvania to Whitby came 50 boxes of earth. All of these, to our certain knowledge, were delivered at Carfax. Recently, 12 of these boxes have been removed. First step, ascertain whether all the rest remain in the deserted house next door or whether any more have been removed. We must trace each of these boxes and sterilize the earth with holy water so that he can no longer seek safety in it. And we must hurry. The events of the next few days are described in Jonathan Harker's journal. October 2nd, 5 a.m. Just returned from the empty house. Left Mina here at home. Well, we've done our work at Carfax. The place was filthy. The air stagnant and foul and alive with rats. We counted the boxes. Only 38 of them. And over each one, the professor went through his same mysterious work. It was dawn when we got back. I found Mina asleep. She looks... Later than usual.
1: October 2nd. Soon after they left, I fell asleep. I remember hearing the sudden barking of the dogs. And then, they were silent. I got up and looked out of the window. There was a thin streak of white mist moving across the grass along the wall of the house. It dawned on me that the air in the room was heavy and dank and cold. The gaslight
4: came only like a tiny red spark through the fog. I could see through my eyelids. The mist grew thicker and thicker. Then, as I looked, the spark divided. and seemed to shine on me through the fog like two red eyes.
2: You shall be flesh of my flesh. Blood of my blood. Blood. Oh, my blood.
3: <sighs> October 2nd, 8 p.m., we're on the track. Twelve boxes were delivered last week to an empty house at 347 Piccadilly. My dear friends, until the sun sets tonight, Dracula must retain whatever form he now has. We have this day to hunt out all his lairs and sterilize them. Then he will have no place where he can move and hide. But we have only until sunset. The house in Piccadilly was empty. I like could want it perfectly. The same sickening smell was in the air. On the table we found a clothesbrush, a brush, and a comb and a basin. The latter containing dirty water which was reddened as if with blood. The boxes are back here. Eight. Nine, ten, eleven. Only eleven. There's a trough box somewhere. Gentlemen, it is after six. The sun is setting. We have no time to lose. He will return at any moment. Open the boxes. Quiet.
4: Quiet.
2: In a row like sheep in a butcher's. You think you've left me without a place to rest. But I have more. And time is on my side. The one you love is mine already. I have known her. Already my mark is on her throat. Flesh of my flesh. Blood of my blood. She is with me always. ...over land or sea. October 4th, morning. Another meeting in the
3: study of
0: poetry.
3: We must find that last remaining box, gentlemen. We must find it. As long as that earth exists impure... ...as long as there remains one place of refuge for Dracula... ...there is no safety and no peace for any soul in England.
0: And for the undead, never
1: peace so long as he lives. Blood of my blood...
4: Blood of my blood, Mina.
3: How do you know that? Know. Quiet, quiet, quiet.
4: With me, with me always, over land and sea. Mina, darling,
3: how did you know that Dracula said those? I
4: don't know. The words just came. Strange. There are times when somehow I feel that I'm with him.
3: At sunset. Yes. Just at sunset.
4: And again, at sunrise, Dr. Van Helsing, if I, if at that time, you...
3: Have you the courage? Courage for what? What do you mean?
1: Dr. Van Helsing here will question
3: me. I will question her, yes. In a state of hypnosis, the one you love is already mine, he said. She is with me always over land or sea. Ah, not Dracula. Perhaps she will betray you if she is really with you, this one we love. Who knows if she is really with you over land or sea.
2: Blood of my blood. Mina. Yes?
3: Answer me, Mina. Are you with him?
4: Yes, I am with him. Where are you? I do not know. It is all dark. What do you hear? The lapping of water. I can hear it on the outside.
3: Then you are on a ship. Yes. What else do you hear?
4: There is the creaking of an anchor chain. What are you doing? I'm still. Oh, so still. It is like death. It's like death.
3: Here is a report from Mattson Peabody, shipbrokers. Dated October 5th, according to Lloyd's list, the only sailing ship that left for the Black Sea yesterday was the Tsarina Katrina, bound for Varna. Some hours before she sailed, a man came alongside, all in black. ...driving a cart with a great box in it. This he lifted down single-handed and carried below. No one remembers seeing seen him after that... ...as heavy mist came up over Doolittle Dock until sailing time. The rest of London harbour remained... ...completely clear. Our plans are made. The average sailing time from London to the Black Sea is three weeks. We can travel overland to the same place in three days. We shall be there waiting for him when he arrives. October 15th, arrive Barn about five o'clock. Mina seems stronger... Every morning before sunrise and just before sunset, she speaks to Van Helsing in a trance. Are you with him, Mina? Tell me, are you with him? I am with him. What can you see? Nothing. All is dark. What can you hear?
4: I can hear the waves lapping against the ship and the water rushing by. The wind is high. I can hear it in the shrouds, and the bow throws back the foam.
0: So,
3: the Tsarina Katrina is still at sea, hastening on her way to Vrana. The Count cannot cross warning water, so he cannot leave the ship without being observed. What do you hear, Mina? Happy
1: waves, and rushing water,
3: darkness, darkness, and wind. A whole week of waiting. Daily telegrams from Lloyds. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. Not yet reported. Not yet reported.
4: reported. reported. Rushing water and creaking masts. Darkness. Darkness and wind.
3: October 24th. Telegram. Lloyds, London to Harker. Zarina Katrina reported this morning. From Dardanelles. Lloyds, London to Harker. October 28th. Zarina Katrina and heavy fog reported entering Galatz Harbor at 1 o'clock today. Galatz! Galatz is 38 hours from here. And the first train for Galatz leaves at 6.30 tomorrow morning. My friends, we have lost. I am
4: wicked I can see nothing. Nothing. I can hear men's voices calling.
3: but already at Bucharest, we are three hours late. So, Captain, Zarina Katrina.
4: A man come aboard with an order an hour before sunup. Receive
3: a box for a party by the name of Dracula. That is better, bad as Emanuel uh, Hiddlesheim, his name was. Mr. Hiddlesheim? Yes. You went over to the box yesterday. I get the Kyloff by order. Kyloff. Mr. Kyloff? Kyloff.
4: This morning they find him dead inside the churchyard of St. Peter.
3: They find him dead. With his throat torn open... October 30th, evening. There are two ways in which Dracula can get back to his own place. By land or by water. We've examined the map and find the most likely river is the Cerris. You and I, Seawood, will we'll charter a steam launch and follow him up the river. Van Helsing and Mina will take the train to Veresti, and from there they will from go... there we shall go in the track where Harker went, from Bistrit over to Borgo. If you have not caught him before, we shall be awaiting Dracula there. <laughs>
0: October thirty-first. We arrived at Veresti at noon. Then
3: Helvin and I got a carriage here and we start in an hour. Our enemy is still on the river. October thirty-first. We can run a good speed up the river at night. There's plenty of water and the banks are wide apart. November first, evening. No news all day. We hear that a big boat went up the river before us, going at more than usual speed.
1: November 4th, all day driving. The country gets wilder as we go. By morning, we shall reach the Borgo Pass.
3: November the 4th evening, we've left the launch. We've got horses and we follow on the track along the river. We are armed. Look! Quick! There they are now! Heading west! With the dawn, we could see the Slovaks some miles before us dashing along the river with their wagon. On it is the Great Box. afternoon we reached the Burgo Pass.
4: Then Helsing, look,
3: look. We could see a long way all around us. Far off beyond the white waste of snow was the river like a black ribbon curling. Between us and the river, not afar off, came a group of men, mounted Slovaks, hurrying along. In the midst of them was a wagon which swept from side to side. On the wagon was a great box. Look. Two horsemen following fast coming up from the south. To it and hard the Slovaks with their heavy wagon are losing their ground. Now the horsemen are not more than a mile behind us. Now the wagon is quite close to us. We can see the great bucks swaying crazily. Now they are almost upon us. Now has happened a strange thing. The wagon smashed into a great rock bed in the snow lost its front wheels and turned over on its side, jammed against the stone. The horses tore loose from their traces and bolted, and the Slovak scatter and vanish after them. Then silence. Silence like comes uh, after ringing a bell. Look, his
4: face.
3: It is Dracula. Sprawled out stiff and twisted in the smear of his own holy earth. The box, in falling, has emptied the dirt onto the snow. His face is old-looking. The skin is like paper. Dr. Seward, there's no time. Look at the sun. Sunset. In one minute, there's darkness, and he is forever lost to us. Have you the stake of wood and the hammer? Here. Now, Seward, pray for us. Kneel down and pray. Harker, the stake of wood over his heart. Be not afraid, hacker. Do not look into his eyes. The hammer, now, hacker, strike, strike.
2: Flesh, flesh of my flesh, guilt of my guilt, death of my death. Speak and be manifest in the instant of your master's peril. Elements of darkness, rain, evil winds, mist and mold and tempest. Light. The others couldn't, but
4: somehow I can hear him speaking behind his eyes.
2: Claw, wing, tooth, scale, tis your flesh death of my death. Dead and undead. The hand of the living is over your master. Console him, my children. This instant is no longer in the space between two heartbeats. But the night is not here. And I am lonely. Come to your master, my children. Beguile him now in the instant of his peril. Beguile him with the sound of your names. Claw. Wing. Tooth. Scale. Tissue of flesh.
1: Strike, arcus, strike!
2: There is one very dear to me who has not answered. My love. Mena. There is less than a minute between me and the night. You must speak for me. You must speak with my heart.
4: Give them to me! Jonathan, give them to me! The stake of wood and the hammer!
3: Arca! I shall never forget that moment. The look on poor Mina's face as she stood there. The angry scar standing out on her throat. Her eyes like living coals in the last red of the sunset. She had torn the stake and the hammer out of my hands with the strength of an animal. Mina! Do you know what you've done, woman? Do you know what you've done to us? You've released him, the evilest beast. Look! The sun! As we looked down at Dracula... The eyes saw the seeking sun, and the hate in them turned to triumph. Flesh of my flesh,
2: come to me, my love. Come into the night and the darkness. You have served me well, my love, my bride, my
3: Ladies and gentlemen, all the evidence in this case is now before you. I've added nothing, and to the best of my knowledge, I've omitted nothing that might help to throw light on the extraordinary events of the year 1891, which culminated on that terrible evening in the Borgo Pass. There remains only this one last report. When Mina Harker seized the stake and hammer from her husband... I believe she was under some form of hypnosis. She herself remembers nothing. But whatever influence was at work on her, she must at the last moment have rejected it. For at the exact instant the sun disappeared, it was Mina Harker who drove the stake through the heart of the thing that called itself Dracula. At that same instant, even as we looked, the wound on the side of her throat was no more. As for Dracula, before the scream of the creature had died from our ears, the whole body crumbled into dust and passed from our sight. In the final moment of dissolution, there was in the face a look of peace such as I never could have imagined might have rested there.
1: Tonight's production of Dracula by Orson Welles and the Mercury Theatre was the first of nine CBS broadcasts in which this brilliant group will bring to life a series of great narratives, all presented in the immediacy of the first-person singular. In presenting them each Monday evening at this time during the summer season, the Columbia Network is bringing a complete theatrical producing company to the air for the first time. In the cast tonight, Dr. Van Helsing was played by Martin Gable, Jonathan Harker by George Colouris, Dr. Seward by Orson Welles, The Russian Captain by Ray Collins, The Mate by Carl Swenson, Mina Harker by Agnes Moorhead, Lucy Westenra by Elizabeth Farah, and Count Dracula by Orson Welles. Bernard Herman composed the original music and conducted. Dan Seymour speaking. Davidson Taylor supervised the production for the Columbia Network. And now here is the director to tell you about next week's Mercury Theater production, Mr. Orson Welles.
3: Ladies and gentlemen, what are your favorite stories? If there is one you're particularly fond of and would like to hear on the air, will you please write me about it? Next week, the Mercury Theater is going to tell you Robert Louis Stevenson's exciting yarn about pirates and the sea, Treasure Island. Until then, just in case Count Dracula has left you a little apprehensive, one word of comfort. When you go to bed tonight, don't worry. Put out the lights and go to sleep. <laughs> it's all
2: right. You can rest peacefully. That's just a sound effect.
3: There. There. Over there in the shadow, see?
2: It's nothing. Nothing at all. Nothing at all. I think it's nothing. But always remember, ladies and gentlemen, there are wolves. There are vampires. Such things do exist.
1: This is the Columbia Broadcasting System.
0: Thanks for listening today. Just a reminder that if you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. This has been a Brick Pickle Media production. And we'll be back with a new episode tomorrow.